welcome to Tales from the Albright, a podcast by the Scranton Public Library. Today we are continuing on our true crime episodes and we are here with Brianna. Hi! The idea behind this one is just a bunch of random smaller stories that are the favorites of the reference department and my personal favorites <laughs> in some cases. I'm so excited <laughs> to see what your personal favorites are, Alyssa. Well, I mean, technically my favorite mugshot that we have is Claire Mitchell, who I did the episode on last October, who was the fake psychic. Oh, yes. I did listen to that one. That was a good one. Yes. <laughs> but these ones are just fun and ones I have stuck in my head yeah. throughout everything. Oh, you're always just in the back of your mind answering reference questions, but thinking about these these cases. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever anyone brings up the mugshots, these are the ones I kind of go to Awesome. Yeah. in some cases. So the first one is Joseph Whitney. And he worked as a stable hand for the William Bell's livery stable. And in his mugshot, he's wearing a winter jacket with an undershirt and a tie. He also has a hat with like a little bow on it. <laughs> and the back of his mugshot states that he had brown hair, gray eyes, was 32 years old. He was arrested by Officer Perry for passing a worthless check. His mugshot stands out because in the remarks section, it states that he has two tattoos. Would you would you like to guess them? <gasps> okay, so he stands out because he has two tattoos. So mm -hmm. if they stand out, I feel like it's not your stereotypical like mom and a heart sort of tattoo, is it? No. No, okay. So we're talking, okay, interesting tattoos. So I'm going to guess that he has um, a large pirate ship <laughs> on one bicep and that he has hmm, a portrait of, of one of those women <laughs> on the other arm. Well, you're half right. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, he cool. does have um, a tattoo of a woman. Ooh, okay. So, okay. But then the other one is related to his job. He just has a horse head. <gasps> on where? Wait, on like, his, is it his forearm that you just indicated? <laughs> it doesn't say, but I assume it's his arms. Okay. All right. Interesting. Yeah. So a horse head and a woman, they're yes. not together, right? They're separate. I don't think so. Okay. The, the way it's written, it made it seem like it was separate. Oh, okay. I hope so. I wasn't yeah. sure, you know, like centaur-esque? Yeah, know. no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. And then I get more into like tattooing later. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, because I did a search and I tried to find things. There wasn't much, but I found some. Yeah. So back to Joseph Whitney and his crime. So on February 2nd, 1903, he was arrested for passing a fake check worth $30 at the New York department store. He claimed that the check was from the First National Bank, but both the check and the endorsement were written in the same handwriting, which looked suspicious to the clerk. And when Whitney presented it, he wanted to pay for a $15 overcoat, and the police arrived at the store, and he admitted that he had forged it, and he was detained on $500 bail by Magistrate Howe. Wow, $500 bail for forgery for a $15 coat. That's yeah. a really sad bit of math. Ooh. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> I kind of feel bad for him, you know? I know. Whitney's hearing was before Judge Lynch, where more details of the forgery were revealed. Before Whitney went to the New York department store, he had tried to use the check at a butcher shop of Harl Enslin. The check was made payable to John Wilson and endorsed by a John Simpton, 
and Whitney asked Enslin to cash it, but he refused. So Whitney then went to the department store. And Whitney claimed that he purchased a check from another person for $1.50 and was not aware that it was invalid. Oh, wow. <laughs> so he's saying somebody else purchased a check. He just bought it. Interesting. To use it. All right. So he's like pulling the, I didn't do the original forging. I just acquired the forged check. Yeah. Oh, okay. I just purchased the forged check. Wow. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I, I feel like you don't hear of people buying fake checks now. Yeah, well, because, okay, so you said it's, like, it was written out by someone, but also endorsed. So, like, was it easy to fake endorsements? Is that, like, a thing? Well, that's just, like, signatures. Oh, okay, okay. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like back then you had to be real diligent about that sort of stuff because it was more common to use checks for things. So, at his sentencing, the jury found Whitney guilty of trying to use a forged check but acquitted him on the charge of forgery, which was unusual, and the newspaper stated that it was unusual. His lawyer, M.J. Martin, tried to get Whitney a retrial on the basis of little evidence that the check was forged. Judge Lynch did not believe this, and had the police search for the man, Simpton, who would share the same name with the name signed on the check, but no one with that name could be found. Oh, geez. So despite <laughs> attempting to get a different trial for Whitney to the best of his ability through claiming his own wrongdoing and submitting the case to jury, at the end of the trial, Joseph Whitney was fined $20 and sentenced to jail for six months. <gasps> six months in jail? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so they even just forged the check with somebody's name that they just made up. Wow. Oh, that's really funny. You should have, see, if you forge it with a made-up name, you should have picked, like, John Smith so they couldn't determine who it would yeah. be. They'd have to hunt through all of the John Smiths it's to prove it. just some common name around yeah. here. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. Next, we are going to discuss Patrick Brogan. He is shown in his mugshot wearing a button-down striped shirt and a jacket. He was described as 24 years old, 5 feet 5 inches, with dark brown hair and blue eyes. He worked as a laborer and was arrested on June 18th, 1903. So his article is short. Would you like to guess the crime from what you've seen of the title? Of the title of the podcast? Yeah, of this episode. <gasps> did he steal someone's chickens? He did. Oh my gosh, he's a chicken thief. I can't, this is amazing. <laughs> the first article that he is involved in is titled, Had Chickens Under His Coat. <laughs> he didn't in the mugshot, I hope. No. They probably took the chickens back. Yeah, they probably <laughs> returned. <laughs> so this was published in the Scranton Times on June 19th, 1903. It reads, Patrick Rogan of Prospect Avenue was arrested at an early hour this morning on Beach Street. He had several chickens under his coat. He failed to give an account of where the fowls were secured and was locked up by patrolman Petal. So the article then goes on to state that he had stolen them from Tom Nerocious and he pleaded guilty and his bail was set at $500. Wow. So 
were there a lot of chickens in the city of Scranton to be stolen? Because isn't Prospect, that's like a normal, like a, a street close to here. Yeah, so then it would be because people raised their own chickens in their backyard as kind of is coming back now. Yeah, Because yes. they're a good source of food because of the continual eggs. Yes. I just can't picture the city of Scranton. Like it's hard to picture it in a day when it was like not urban like this and you could have chicken. I can't yeah. imagine just having your chickens out in your yard where someone could like pilfer them and stick them under their coat. Yeah, no, I occasionally when you're driving down streets, you'll see people that have chickens and the chickens are out running around. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, I've around never here. seen. Oh my gosh. I mean, I've seen that out in like the rural areas, but never near here. I pass by one house every day on my way to work that has chickens. That's amazing. See, my neighborhood just kind of has raccoons. There's like whole families of them. <laughs> <laughs> and they live in, in different, like they live on my neighbor's roof. So there's that. Yeah, I want to, now yeah. I want some chicken. So Patrick didn't stop there. And then in November of 1903, there's an article titled An Unlucky Crow, oh, no. published by the Scranton Republican that states, Patrick Rogan, who was arrested in a South Scranton chicken coop at two o'clock yesterday morning, was giving a hearing before Magistrate Miller yesterday afternoon. At the hearing, it developed that a rooster crowing was Rogan's undoing, as a patrolman hearing the bird's musical voice investigated and found Rogan. He was sent to the county jail for 30 days. Oh my God, wait. So he was going for more chickens? Yep. <gasps> See, when you said crow initially, I was like, we've escalated to crows? <laughs> He's just pilfering the crows? Now? I would be oh very God. scared to try to steal a crow though. Yeah, they're smart. <laughs> they will remember you. Yeah? <laughs> they won't forget. They will they can testify at the, at the trial. Honestly. <laughs> That's so, oh my gosh. So he just decided to go back and steal chicken. What? Yes. What is this guy's chicken obsession? There were quite a few people with chicken obsessions. <laughs> There's. <laughs> That's, that would be a whole podcast. Let's research the people of Scranton with chicken obsessions. There were many in the mugshots that stole chickens. Wow. Uh, case in point, the next person we're talking about, Charles Sawyer. Oh my God. Again? Yes. This feels like a Jean Valjean thing, though, like Les Mis. Like, it feels like we're stealing a loaf of bread, but they just need the chickens. Because why else would you steal chickens but food? Yep. Oh, all right. Tell me about him. I want to know. Okay. So I'm Charles's mugshot from the Department of Public Safety. He is wearing a white button-down shirt and a jacket. Charles is described as 28 years old, about 5'7", blue eyes, and dark hair. He worked as a minor and was arrested on March 24th, 1904. It's interesting that on his mugshot, he kind of, in the photo, he kind of has just like stubble going on. Mm, Okay. And for, they had a section for mustaches descriptor (laughs) on the back of the mugshots because. Oh, that's great. It's 1903, so most people had facial hair. Yes. And instead of being like, yes or no, or describing what it is, it just says, can raise one. (gasps) Can raise a mustache. Oh my God, that's great. So the police are kind of like, he can grow one if he wants, but he doesn't currently have one. Wow. So it's one of those to be like, in case you're finding him in the wild, he might have a mustache. He might be mustachioed. A wild squint. <laughs> oh my gosh. He also has tattoos. Ooh. And I am going to just read them out because it's hard to guess his. Because oh, they're not related to They're anything. not roosters or anything? No. <sighs> Chicken tattoos would be great. He has CS and CA tattooed on his left wrist, stars, anchors, and a heart on his right arm, a pair of legs on his left arm. 
legs on the arm. Yep. That would be great if it was legs on his legs. Not a whole person, just legs. Just the legs. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I really want to know what the leg tattoo looks like. Yeah. Because I want to say there's two or three mugshots in the reflection that in the other remarks, it has legs or like ladies' legs. <laughs> Not a whole person, just legs. <laughs> yeah, I wish they d- did mugshots where they like just, you know, also mugshotted them with the tattoos mm-hmm. so that you could see because that is so funny. Instead, they're all in coats and long shirts and oh, dresses. Not helpful. I no. want to know their tattoos. I'll go into his crime itself which is quite short. And then I will talk about what I found on tattoos in the area. Cool. That sounds good to me. So Charles Sawyer believed to have stolen between five and seven chickens from Bridget Kederick. And he was arrested on Crown Avenue and brought to jail. He was represented by C.A. Battenberg. And the Scranton Republican noted that the court did not view the defense as so very serious, nor did the jury. So he just got two months in jail. So wait, hold up. You said his attorney was a C.A. Battenberg. Do you think he had his attorney's initials tattooed on him? Because you just said he had C.A. and C.S. on him. I don't <laughs> I'm sorry, but the coincidence is too, too close. It has to... Alyssa, you need to do more digging now. You need to find out who that is and why. I will try and find and I will please, let you know. Please let me know. Because maybe it's that his attorney did such a good job in getting him like out of this situation. Or a previous situation. Because he was arrested yeah, before true. he that's was represented. True. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do some digging, see what I can come up. I'm thinking maybe it's a relative initial instead. Okay, so they, they were it's too petty. You stole some chickens. This isn't revolutionary era France. We're not gonna. Right. We're not gonna. Okay. Sounds good. Although it was, it seemed like he stole more chickens than um, poor Patrick Rogan. Wow. So I. (laughs) Wow. So they don't even take into account the number of chickens you stole. This is not fair justice. (laughs) (laughs) Also, it's between five and seven. Do we really not know how many chickens the man had on his person? I I don't know, but that's what the article (laughs) said. So the woman was probably like, I don't know. I had approximately 13 chickens. Half of them are gone. I don't guess. Probably. (laughs) That's what I'm assuming happened. Okay. All right. Fair. So I decided to take a look in the papers for tattoo artists or tattoos. Especially Charles Sauer had a bunch. And when I was talking about the Olesnovich family crimes, Joseph Olesnovich tried to pin his forge check on Jimmy Burns, who was a known tattoo artist around the area. So I was like, I wonder who else is around. Yeah. And I wasn't really able to find much. There was an ad in the May 28th edition of the Scranton Times that said, D. Leona, America's great tattoo artist, will be at Hotel Norse at 612 West Lackawanna Avenue. But I wasn't able to find who D. Leona was. Oh. So... I don't know if they actually were America's Greatest Tattoo Artist because I couldn't find anything. Oh, wow. So is there a chance that, I mean, I don't know how legal these things were. Is it like one of those where it was considered an irreputable business that wouldn't want to be advertising or like located easily? Or was it? Yes and no. Okay. At the time, a lot of famous people had tattoos. Oh, okay. And they weren't as uncommon as 
you would traditionally think. Right. Granted, most of society that had tattoos were either criminals or they were people that had been in the military. Right. So that those were the two main categories. I do remember that from my history education. <laughs> <laughs> but then you also had royalty that had tattoos around this time. I believe it was King Edward VII who had like a massive dragon tattoo. Um, Tsar Nicholas II had tattoos. Oh, okay. So different monarchy figures had tattoos around. And then another article that came up, interestingly, was in the women's section of the paper. where Because they would always have a page that was like women's news. Ah, uh, yep, yep. And often it was articles related to like serials of like romance novels mm-hmm. or right. recipes or ideas for cooking or other things related to stereotypical right. women's issues. Yeah, I feel like we learned in history when I was in college about like how they would advertise for products like vacuums and things as they mm-hmm. came out. Like that's where you want to advertise those things to women, like housekeeping goods mm-hmm. and activities. Yeah. So in that section was this whole article that summarized a different article that was published in the St. James Gazette from London. And it stated, there are few society leaders who do not bear some specimen of a tattooer's art on their skin. If only it be a bee or a butterfly on the shoulder. So then it went on to discuss more tattoos that people of high society had in London at this time. All right, classy ones. Okay. Yeah. Tattoos of dragons, chrysanthemums, family crests, and tattoo artists that add makeup to women's faces, which I feel like we're seeing, I don't know if it's a resurgence, but like that's being discussed more, like the people who get like tattooed eyeliner or tattooed lipstick on. And the eyebrows, yep, all that. I know what you mean. Yeah, I thought that was like a more recent phenomenon, but I guess it's not because it was mentioned in this article. (laughs) I can't imagine though, like in the early 1900s, the type of tattooing machines they had and having that on your eye or like on your face. I can't imagine it now with a tattoo. Oh, I know. Yeah. Mm -mm. Yeah. Even the ones now. Uh, Nope. I'm good. But it just seemed like they had pretty similar tattoo guns as the article states that the machine had eight needles that applies ink and is painless. See, as someone who's had modern tattoos, I wouldn't call them painless. I wouldn't either. Yeah, I don't think so. Because <laughs> both of us have tattoos. Yeah, uh-huh. And while they're not, mine personally weren't as bad as some people claim they are, it wasn't painless. Yeah, no, it was it was painful at parts. But now I'm curious, so would we be considered classy with our tattoos? I mean... You do have, like, an astronaut cat. I do have an astronaut (laughs) I don't know if that's considered high society by the, what was that, London Gazette thing? Yeah, St. James Gazette. Yes. I I don't know. But, (laughs) you know, between the space cat and then the skull on books. Yeah, that's true. Good point. I don't know. It might be considered fun. I I don't think they had a concept of space cats and cats in space. No, I don't know if they had people in space as a concept yet. <laughs> so this article also goes into cover-up tattoos. Ooh. The tattoo studio is the grave of many a romance, <gasps> as women often have tattoos of their former lovers' names or initials covered up with things like a frog or a geisha, or often gruesome designs that are chosen, such as Medusa's head, for instance, <laughs> with the brightly colored snake dresses. Oh, that's... See, that sounds great to me. Also, that was a beautiful piece of, like, literary 
wording there when it was like their love affairs go to the grave you know in the tattoo parlor (laughs) dang that's even true today though like people do that because that's what they say it's the curse of death to get someone's name Mm -hmm. and then you just cover it up (laughs) yeah so that's about all that i have for today okay um so we went through some chicken thieves some forgeries Tattoos in 1903 Scranton. Oh my gosh, chickens, tattoos, and forgeries. Three of my favorite things. <laughs> this was lovely. I learned so much from you, Alyssa. I always do. I learn a lot as I'm doing them. Oh yeah, so. for sure. If you have any comments, suggestions, questions, or anything at all, please feel free to email me at aloney at albright.org. That is A-L-O-N-E-Y at albright.org. Or call the library at 570-348-3000. Thank you. Mm-hmm.